Well, good morning on this uh, beautiful uh, Father's Day morning. We want to recognize indeed all the fathers and the fathers-to-be and the stepfathers. And, uh, um, but I would like to, as I think about Father's Day, I just would like to recognize on this Father's Day the, the mothers and the women that have been, that have allowed us to be fathers and um, that actually takes so much of the, of the work and of the passion of um, raising children. Thank you for all of them. My pleasure today to share with you God's word um, as we find it in the Gospel of Mark in the chapters four and five, which have been just read. Our text today, as you heard, involves two very well-known episodes in Jesus's earthly ministry, the calming of the storm and the healing of, a, of the demon-possessed man. Two episodes which seem to be centering on various fears and on Jesus's response to them. So I decided to focus on this topic today as one rather relevant to our anxious current society, especially as we're slowly emerging from a long and scary pandemic. Fears, or phobias as doctors call them, are one of the commonest mental health disorders in our society with almost 10%, one in 10 of people experiencing them. And you may be interested in knowing that the top fears people have are in order, fear of spiders, snakes, heights, that's my big one, public places, dogs, thunder lightning, and injections. Each with its own polysyllabic term, making such commonplace feelings somehow more scientific. But let's explore together a bit the fear and its antidotes from God's point of view. Let's pray. Dear God, as we uh, indeed uh, look at your word, I pray that um, you may guide our thoughts, our meditations, that they may both reflect your heart and your purposes and give pleasure and to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text today is Mark 4.35 through 5.20. For a bit of context, Mark is the shortest gospel just 16 action-packed chapters in all, so it naturally moves at quite a fast pace. Jesus calls the disciples and announces the miracles, uh, uh, the, performs the announcement miracles in chapter one, gets into trouble already with the establishment in chapter two, then the crowd start following him in chapter three. Then in chapter four, he focuses on establishing the foundation of his ministry. Jesus does that first by teaching, through parables. These appear geared for the intellect as they explain the kingdom, like the sower, the lamp on a hill, the mustard seed, part of what I would call the Kingdom 100 course. Then there are the miracles, better seen as actual signs. They're geared more for the heart. And instead of just explaining the kingdom, they model the kingdom. I think of them as the kingdom 200 level, of course. And many of these signs are so-called power encounters, showing that Jesus is more powerful than something else, something strong, like the physical forces in the storm episode, spiritual forces in the story of the demon-possessed man, and death itself through the raising of Jairus' daughter at the end of Mark 5. 
The two miracles included in today's lectionary actually hang quite well together, sharing several features. First of all, they're just plain great stories with full Netflix potential. Uh, they're action-packed, they don't miss cliffhangers, including a little cliffhanger in the second story. And like any great story, they're not just dramatic, but they include some light comedy moments. Picture the disciples telling God, you don't care if we drown, do, do you? Or a bunch of pigs all jumping off a cliff into the lake lemming style. But the key similarity, I believe, between the two stories is the focus on fear. And you'll see fear appears twice in each of the two episodes. My aim today is to show that the purpose of these passages is not just to demonstrate Jesus' authority over all on earth, but also as object lessons of what makes us afraid and how we can overcome our fears. In the first episode, the fear appears to be of the forces of nature. And of course, a little boat caught in a storm on a sea is quite a classic scenario. Jesus basically had a long day at work, full day of teaching through his parables. So, all exhausted, he takes the disciples' Uber boat and promptly fall asleep, falls asleep in the back seat. As the weather conditions suddenly worsen, the disciples panic lose sight of who's actually sleeping with them and promptly blame the creator of the universe for not caring for them. But here comes the best part. Jesus fixes the storm good, all is again quiet and safe, and the disciples are happy. No, they were actually terrified. Good old fear again, but this time not of the force of nature, but of Jesus himself. The second episode in the season of Mark actually has a script which is remarkably similar to the first, despite an entirely different setting. Right after the arrival on the other shore, Jesus is met by another terrifying sight, this time of the forces of evil in the world, an entire legion of demons who inhabited one man, causing him to terrify those around him. Just like with the tempest, Jesus promptly confronts the forces and subdues them almost instantly, all with a unique visual, uh, extra, extra visual of the spiritual victory won as 2,000 pigs rush straight into the lake and drown. And now for the finale. The spectators to the scene, who had lived in fear for years because of the scary demoniac, encounter the man, this time comfortably sitting down, quiet, decently dressed, so they all breathe a sigh of relief and thank Jesus for it, right? No. Again, no. In fact, they're again afraid. Afraid of him even to the point of asking him to leave their neighborhood. As a matter of fact, the only one who seemed to have actually appreciated what Jesus did this time and sought his company was the actual man who was inhabited by the legion of demons. Fear, fear, fear. Fear of the forces of nature and fear of dark spiritual forces. Mark protagonists seemed to have lived in fear, and when nothing was too scary for a while, they were terrified of the Son of God. We too, all of us, live in various fears. 
we just call them phobias. The objects of our fears may be different in the 21st century, and our fears might appear as more sophisticated than in biblical times. Now we fear financial insecurity, cancer, old age, or little RNA viruses like the COVID-19. We fear our boss when she had had a bad day, our teacher because he's so strict, or our neighbors who look so different from us and God knows what they're up to. But just as we focus on what Jesus teaches us about fear, let me suggest that not all fear is bad. We also fear car crashes and that makes us hopefully drive more carefully. We typically fear the police and that makes us wait with our 50-person party without social distancing or masks until the government allows it. And maybe we fear a negative online persona and that makes us careful in what we post on social media. Our key task is not to erase all fear, but rather to wisely choose among our fears, taming and even befriending those which may be useful ones. But for all the irrational, paralyzing fears, for those 80%, according to statistics of our fears, which are apparently totally unfounded, for the fears which can be summed up in the acronym F-E-A-R, false events appearing real. For all these, God speaks to us over and over, dozens of times throughout the Bible, simply imploring, do not fear. Where will these fears come from? Many places, I suppose, but in today's episode, they seem to come from ourselves as we desperately want to feel that we're somehow in control of our environment, of those around us, of our future. And if we're to be brutally honest with ourselves, sometimes our fear and yours, my fears and yours seem to stem from somehow, somehow leaving God out of the equation or the situation just like the disciples did in the boat. Fear then makes us lose perspective of the situation and either paralyzes us or drives us into foolish or even hateful actions. What's even worse, fear seems to somehow impair our connection with God. We either forget him, like the Israelites did so many times in their history, or we blame God for our troubles again like the Israelites in the desert or the disciples in the boat. Or, worse still, we forsake and abandon him. Again, like the Israelites over the centuries or the peasants around a demoniac asking Jesus to just leave. So what's the, situ what's the solution, the antidote to fear? Surely it must be courage, right? That is, after all, the solution offered in our popular culture, all the way from the Wizard of Oz and the Lion King stories through hundreds of superhero movies. But that is hardly Jesus' solution in our texts. What I glean, not just from our text, but from the full thread of Scripture, is that the antidote to fear is twofold. It involves trust towards God, and love towards those around us. Notice that I haven't, I didn't say faith in God, but rather trust. 
not because faith is not important. Jesus himself asked his terrified disciples in Mark 4, 40, do you still have no faith? But it's because of the meaning of faith. What he's looking for is that pistis in Greek, which is about complete trust, confidence, reliance, rather than the intellectual assent to a set of doctrines passed on to us, a personal statement of faith of sorts. Trust in God allows me to face my fears, to call them for what they are, often false ideas, and then dispel them, as in Psalm 112, verse 7. He will have no fear of bad news. His, head, his heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Or Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I think I do this by shifting my perspective from my own limited and fearful self and unto God, whose all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving character reassures me that all will be okay, that ça va bien aller. In the words of the psalmist in Psalm 131, verse 2, I have stilled and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This biblical admonition has deeply seeped into our anxious, self-willed society. As seen that in the 12 steps of various recovery programs, all starting up by acknowledging our powerlessness over fear and many other defects, and seeking God's help as the only one who can free us from them. And if trust is our vertical antidote to fear, love must surely be our chief horizontal antidote in our relationship with those around us. Jesus' commission to the only apparent convert he made following the casting out of the legion of demons uh, the man, the ex-demoniac himself, was to take the message of mercy he had received to everyone around him, which he promptly did. How beautifully the Apostle John expresses the same message long after the boat event in his first epistle. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. 1 John 4.18 once again, this attitude changes our perspective, enthrones our ego from the center of our life, and places God and others on it. In the less inspired words of the 12-step movement, quote, I can choose to replace self-centered fear with God-centered love. So between trust in God and love for others, the spiritual illness of my phobias can be treated and even transformed into spiritual value. In my fear of disease, death, destitution, or despair, I can choose to turn to God in trust, believing along Daniel's furnace-facing friends in Daniel 3.17 that, quote, the God we serve is able to save us from anything, and he will rescue us. So when the other around me 
be that the Muslim neighbor or the First Nations protester or the immigrant who all seemingly robbed me of the comfort of being surrounded by people just like myself. When that other makes me anxious or fearful or resentful or uncomfortable, it is only God's love, hopefully indwelling in my heart, that can drive me towards them in love and prompts me to seek understanding, peace, and communion. As I was reflecting on the fears of the disciples and of the pig farmers in our text, and on the many phobias deeply affecting our society, it crossed my mind how easy it was for me to patronize those around me who have this or that fear and offer them such godly advice as trusting in God and loving people. I was hit by my own blindness and pride simply because I do not fear what they fear. My fears are simply elsewhere and maybe more hidden. I realize that each have our own, each of us have our own fears, which loom large to us even as they might be trivialized by others. I was reminded of a cute children's story we used to read to our kids when they were small. It's called Franklin in the Dark, and it goes something like this. Franklin, a young turtle, is afraid of the dark, so he drags his small dark shell behind him. One day, he sets off to look for help. On his quest, he encounters a variety of animals, each with its own fear. He meets a duck, afraid of very deep water, who wears water wings. He comes, he comes across a bird, scared of flying high, who finds a parachute useful, and so on. We all have our own fears. While knowing that, may comfort us, just like it comforted Franklin. The healing ultimately will only come as we lay these fears at God's feet, surrender them in trust to God, and choose, choose to show love to those who inspire them. This is God's antidote, and it's also our unique countercultural response in an anxious yet God-rejecting society. To Jeremiah, God said, do not fear, in Jeremiah 46, 27. To Isaiah, he said in Isaiah 8 and 41, do not fear. To Mary by the tomb, Jesus said, do not be afraid. To me and to you, God continues to lovingly say, like the prophet Isaiah, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10 Fear distances me from God and isolates me from my neighbor. But I can overcome fear, surrendering it in God, to God in trust and transforming it into a love towards my neighbor. And I pray for that. In the precious words of the so-called serenity prayer written by Christian theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, 
and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as God did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that God will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen.